Thank you for staying tuned. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. This is a commentary to um, the Festival of Shavuot, Pentecost. This is part E. That's right. We are already five uh, parts into this commentary. It's, it's really long. Each section is about 30 minutes long. So um, I encourage you to listen to parts A through D um, if you've missed them. Uh, I'm not even going to give you a comprehensive summary of what we've been talking about. Just I encourage you to go back and listen to them on your own. If you have the written notes, which are available at graftedin.com, um, we are on the middle of page 16. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. and We've been talking about now, in this last section, about um, being filled with the Spirit of Messiah, controlled by Messiah, witnessing for Yeshua, being a witness for Yeshua, just like he said in the book of Acts to his Talmudim, that after the Spirit has come upon you, you'll be witnesses of me, witnesses for me. And so now let's turn to a discussion on the Spirit and the Word. Because as we're going to find out, and I think Pastor Norm, Norm Franz, a good friend of mine, has coined it in these terms, okay? If, you're, if you have too much Spirit in your life, you are, um, how did he put it? Oh gosh, what's the terminology he used? Um, you'll you'll be you'll be. Um, <laughs> let me just term it in my own terms because I can't remember exactly what Norm said. But basically, too much too much spirit in your life, and you're you're going to be a crazy person. Okay, you, you'll just be you'll be eccentric if you're not grounded in the word. If there's no balance, and if you've got too much word in your life and not enough spirit, then you'll just be a dead person. You'll be boring. Um, you'll be you'll you'll. you'll, you'll you'll be too rigid. And so um, you need a, a balance, a proper balance of the Spirit and the Word. And so that's where I'm going to turn in this next section in my commentary. This next section is entitled, The Spirit and the Word. The believer's relationship with the Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, is both critical and progressive. It's critical in that one learns that the Torah life is a life of faith rather than a life of works and has little reference to emotions. Remember the verse that says the, the just shall live by faith? That's critical. But it's also progressive in that as one walks consistently in the power and the control of the real Kakodesh, the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about in Galatians will be produced in your life. So we've got the critical work of the Spirit and the progressive work of the Spirit. We have the saving work of the, of the Spirit, and we have the sanctifying work of the Spirit. We have the Spirit in us, and we have the Spirit upon us. Now, a word of caution is in order when I'm talking about the Spirit coming upon you and working within you. Do not seek an emotional or mystical experience if you're pressing into the Spirit. What I mean is that, is this. Do not depend on mystical impressions. If the Spirit wants to move upon you mystically, then let him determine that aspect of his move. He comes upon you, and he decides how you're going to perceive this empowering. Some people laugh, some people cry, some people dance, some people shout, some people speak in tongues, some people heal. There's different, uh, there, there are different... Um, reactions to the very same Spirit. To be sure, there are different gifts that are given by the same Spirit. So don't depend on a mystical impression as the litmus test of the Spirit coming upon you. What I mean is this. You can actually pray and press into the Spirit. You can meditate. You can, you can open your heart and mind to the Spirit. And the Spirit can come into you. And you know what? It can be just a quiet, moving experience. Nothing more. Just a, 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 um, a very subtle, quiet, uh, sublime experience. Or you can have a deep, mystical, profound experience where, where you're drawn into a dream and a vision and a, and, 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 and a grand uh, uh, picture, as it were. And neither one is wrong. That's the point I'm trying to make. So those of you listening to my podcast, don't seek the mystical and then be disappointed if you don't get one. That's my point. However, don't discount the mystical as well. To be sure, most people express experiencing quite an emotional outburst connected to an encounter with the divine. Yet, yet, listen to the balance, okay? The objective Torah of God and the fruit of the Spirit must be the basis of measuring and tracking our spiritual growth. Did you catch that? I'll read it again. The objective Word of God and the fruit of the Spirit within our lives 
That's how we measure and track our spiritual growth. We don't measure it and track it by the mystical experiences. There is an interesting parallel between Ephesians 5.18, which admonishes us to be, uh, to be constantly and continually directed and empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh, and Colossians 3.16, which admonishes us to, quote, let the word of Messiah richly dwell within you, end quote. Go back and meditate on both of those passages, okay? Ephesians 5.18 and Colossians 3.16. We need the balance. The Bible describes one of the end results of both letting the word, that is to say the Torah of Messiah, dwell in you and being filled with the Ruach HaKodesh. And what's that description? You will talk much about the Lord, quoting psalms and hymns, and making music in your heart to the Lord. Let's read the... Um, uh, um, let me just read a quote from... Uh, this, this is from another part of my commentary, uh, other commentaries that I've written. Um, but I don't remember exactly where it came from. I just know I have got the, the quote here. So I apologize for not knowing where the quote is. But let me just read it. Quote, It is very important to recognize the importance of the balance between the Torah and the Spirit of God. The Torah is closed to our understanding and has little meaning to us apart from the illumination given by the Ruach HaKodesh. And the Ruach HaKodesh is hindered in speaking clear and life-changing truth apart from the Torah. Let me just pause and let that sink in. Did you catch it there? The Spirit brings to our recollection the words of the Torah. And the Torah is closed to our understanding outside of the illumination of the Spirit. You see, we need both working in concert. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone for, uh, righteous, forensically, I might add, it only the Torah only achieves this goal when the person by faith accepts that Yeshua is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. I might add that only until the individual reaches this conclusion, his familiarity of the Torah is only so much intellectual nutrition. I'm not ne neglecting that fact. The Torah can make you knowledgeable. Oh yeah, but only spirit can make you wise. Only by believing in Yeshua will the person be able to properly understand Hashem and consequently His Word. You see, when the emphasis on the ministry of the Ruach HaKodesh in the Torah is in proper balance in your life, listen up people, listen up. The result is a life of power and great fruitfulness in which our Savior, the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah, is wonderfully honored and glorified. We've got to have the balance. Let me just describe the, um, the stereotypical imbalance. All right, On the one side, we have an imbalance of the Torah as seen and categorically taught within the synagogue. That is to say, nominative Judaism which teaches Torah, but teaches very little about the true Spirit of God. It's an imbalance. Lots of Torah, lots of knowledge, very little Spirit. As a result, little or no fruit. Now let's go to the other side, the stereotypical Christian church, which emphasizes the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, but has decided to divorce herself from the Word of God, the foundational portion known as the Torah, has lots of things to say, but very little wisdom in what they're saying. We're imbalanced. And, as a result, in what they're saying, because of the lack of wisdom, comes up to be nonsense. Comes up to be um, not grounded, not foundational, not not um, rooted in the text, but rather, it's, it's a lot of... Um, What's the word I want to use? It's a lot of uh, eisegesis. It's a lot of um, it's it's a lot of supposition. It's a lot of uh, pretext. There's very little context. We need them both. Let's come back to a comfortable middle, okay? Can we do that? If you're in the synagogue, press into the spirit, and if you're in the church, press into the Torah. Go towards that 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 opposite end that you lack. Don't forsake the inn that you're in. Don't forsake the place that you're at. If you're in the synagogue, don't forsake the Torah, but rather appropriate the Spirit as well. Conversely, if you're in the church and there's no Torah being taught, press into the Torah. Okay, get them both. 
um, as you continue then to allow the Holy Spirit to control and empower you, and as you meditate, meditate upon the Torah, hiding it in your heart, your life expresses more and more the beauty of Messiah and the fruit of the Spirit, which uh, Paul lists in Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the verses I read earlier. This is a challenge, people. It's a challenge, and it's not easy. It's a challenge to me. Year after year, I, 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 I well, day after day, obviously, but year after year, as, as this, as this uh, Shavuot comes around, I inspect my life. Father, where am I lacking? Do I have a lot of spirit and very little Torah? Do I need to, um, to, to read more of the foundational portions of the Bible so that I can gain further insight and wisdom and so that I'm not... Um, simply supposing I know what's right, but I know what's what the objective word says. Father, help me to study your Torah more. And then at other times, at other seasons, I find that you know what? I've got a lot of Torah. I'm just packing it in. I'm I'm studying and I'm reading. I'm pressing in. But you know what? My life is very dry. Very little power. Very little witness of Yeshua. And so I find that I've got to go and fill up my tank again. I've got to go get an oil change because I've run myself dry of the Spirit. I don't want to get dry of the Torah, and I don't want to find myself dry of the Spirit. We need them both. These attributes of our Lord Yeshua found in Galatians, um, Torah submissiveness plus fruitful witnessing, uh, these indicate that the Lord is actually living His life in and through you. It's really quite simple. If you have an abundance of Torah submissiveness, as well as an abundance of fruitful witnessing, that is to say the fruits of the Spirit, then that tells you that you must be doing something right. Or I should say you must be yielding yourself to the Spirit of God. Being filled with the Spirit results in an abundant and overflowing life. Jesus of Nazareth, of Nazareth once cried out to the multitude, you remember? He said, If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. End quote. John also adds, quote, By this, this is John's uh, editorial comment to that passage I just read, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. End quote. It's a wonderful teaching, a wonderful challenge. So um, as you, um, as you uh, press in this year during Shavuot, uh, during your quiet times, during your study times, don't forget the balance. Word plus spirit. Word plus spirit. Not word versus spirit. It's not Torah versus spirit. It's Torah and Spirit. Amen. Amen. Let's move now farther down into my commentary. If you remember, um, I had a section where I, I was introducing some questions that people had sent in. And I decided to use the questions as a, an opportunity to um, present an answer that everyone can share in. And so we have question two here um, from one of my readers. And the question two really is similar to question one. But it's just a very straightforward question. Again, um, I don't have all the answers to uh, the questions that people send in, but I do welcome the questions. And so thank you for sending in questions. Um, speaking of being filled with the Spirit, all right, we've already described what it means to um, witness for Yeshua to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, we talked about in versus on, and we also talked about word versus uh, spirit, or, and, and again, truly, we know that the terminology is misleading. It's not in verses on; it's in and on. And we know it's not word versus spirit; it's word and spirit. This is the abundant life that Yeshua has offered to us and desires for us to live. And truly, um, this abundant life is uh, uh, is not being experienced by many believers, and it's quite sad. But look at question two: What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Now, as if I hadn't already answered the question, I'll go ahead and answer it again. The terms baptized and filled, when we, some versions say baptized by the Spirit, sometimes say filled with the Spirit. In my understanding, they are synonyms for the same experience described above. That is to say, where the Spirit empowers you, the already saved individual, to perform uh, things or, or perform uh, works or, or uh, um, what's the word term I want to use, to, um, to obey God 
in a manner that otherwise would be impossible for you to do or would be extremely difficult for you to do. Um, baptizing, being baptized in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit uh, has the idea of receiving your marching orders, okay? Like a soldier gets commissioned to go and do something. And it's not only this commissioning, but it's, it's empowering. The first term, baptized, simply connects the experience with the physical baptism that all believers are to undergo. As truthfully, if you'll recall, many believers admit to feeling to uh, feeling filled with the Spirit at the moment of their baptism. In fact, there is, in fact, a natural association when one gets baptized, when un one undergoes a mikvah, because in the mikvah process, one dies to self. There's a dying. You go under the water, and in that suspension of life, remember, you have to hold your breath because we don't breathe water. We're not fish. But... When we go under the waters of the mikvah, we are dying to the breathing world, as it were. And in that death, um, we are uh, identifying with Yeshua's death. And then we have to come up out of the waters, symbolizing Yeshua's uh, being resurrected. And in that resurrection of the, in the mikvah, the waters, as it were, um, uh, uh, symbolize that we are being resurrected unto Yeshua. There is a, a, a fresh start, a new empowering, a, a change of our walk and of our life. Because the dead, the dead person is, is, is gone. He's the one that, that went down into the water. And the new person has been resurrected. He's the one that came up out of the water. So being baptized by the Spirit is sometimes synonymous with this experience. Some people go down into the waters of the mikvah and come up. And when they come up, they're shouting, they're, they're praising God, and rightfully so, because the, the, the experience, what they're feeling, what they're feeling on the inside, and what they're apprehending with their mind, is um, the death and the resurrection of the old self. And yet, that, what I've just described, is more or less the salvation experience. What does it mean to go down into the mikvah and come back up if you're already saved? Well, then we're talking about a death of the old flesh, the old nature. A death of the old habits, a death of the old mindset, a death of the old um, patterns of life. And a rebirth, a renewal of the strength in my walk in God. Father, refill me. A death of the absence of the Spirit and a rebirth of the filling of the Spirit. If I could demonstrate it that way. The terms, in fact, are indeed used synonymously. Baptized and filled. Question three. What does baptize with fire mean? You ever see that in, in the scriptures? Baptize with fire. Well, here's the answer to question three. Once again, um, this term, uh, baptized with fire, helps to describe the experience of being filled with the knowledge of Messiah, being filled with the ability to walk in a manner that describes and demonstrates the life of Yeshua in us, the power to witness about Yeshua, the power to go about and do the work of God. Yet this phrase is even more um, uh, demonstrative of uh, carrying the connotation of a soldier receiving his marching orders, kind of what I described earlier. But this time when it says baptized with fire, the term fire in the Bible is used to convey the power of the Word of God, the power of of the knowledge of God. To be sure, both the Sinai experience and the day of Pentecost were accompanied by great displays of fire, right? When the power comes upon you, the dunamis, from where we get the word dynamite, the Greek word dunamis, refers to power. When that power comes upon you, um, it signifies the word of God, the Torah, the apostolic scriptures going forth in power, in the life of an individual. The word without the spirit can be quite powerless, but comparatively, the Word with the Spirit is most powerful. It's a fiery power. To be baptized in fire means to appropriate the knowledge of Messiah with the knowledge of His Torah, being filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word of God. Not just filled with the Spirit. Sometimes Some people get filled with the Spirit but they have very little knowledge of the Word of God. And the power of the Spirit comes perhaps upon them to change their life. You understand what I'm saying so far? Let's say you got an individual who got saved. Let's say we got Bob, all right? Bob has got saved at the Billy Graham crusade a month ago, but Bob has not yet been able to witness to anyone. So Bob presses into the Spirit. 
And in that pressing in, the spirit enters into Bob and overflows Bob's life to the point that Bob is able to crucify his flesh even further. And so you could say he's baptized by the spirit for Bob's own benefit. Bob was raised in a non-Christian home, in my little example. And as a result, Bob doesn't have very much Bible knowledge. He doesn't really know how to witness to people in power. Because Bob has his own headaches and hang-ups and hard, hardships. And so the Spirit can fill him and come into him and begin to break down the old Bob on the inside. He's saved, and now he's going to begin to get filled with the Spirit to break down the old nature that's within him. But sooner or later, as Bob avails himself of the Word of God on a repetitive basis, the Spirit is going to baptize Bob with fire and in this baptism of fire the Spirit is going to be able to quicken the words of God within Bob to be a more effective witness this time to reach out to other people. Do you see the subtle difference? Baptized uh, with, by the Spirit for the purpose of, of taking care of house cleaning within me as opposed to or in, when compared to baptized with fire so that I can be outreaching and reach out to other people, okay? That's my answer to question three. Baptized in the fire, okay? It's like the soldier is receiving his marching orders so he can go out, not to be introspective, but to be outreaching, to reach out to other people. Again, to be baptized in fire means to appropriate the knowledge of Messiah with the knowledge of his Torah. Indeed, the two go hand in hand. For without the word of God firmly rooted in a believer, how can the Spirit bring all things of Yeshua to his remembrance, just like Yeshua said? So we need the word of God, and we need the Spirit of God if we're going to be baptized by fire. Question number four. What is the Spirit's fire that can be quenched if we despise prophecy? Huh, good question. Answer to question four. Now, this answer to question four is going to um, capture the format of, some, um, of an outline. And in, in, in the first point, um, we're going to talk about 1 Thessalonians 5.19. And we'll do this under the heading of Quench Not the Spirit. In our study of the ministry of the Ruach HaKodesh, we understand that the Spirit indwells every believer at the moment of salvation. Okay, That's the in part of the in versus on debate. Um, again, that is the regeneration. We also find that there are several direct commands from the Torah concerning the Spirit of Hashem and believers. Let's take a look at one of them. Right? This command, quench not the Spirit, comes at the close of Shaul's first epistle to the Thessalonians. Right? Um, notice chapter 5 and beginning with verse 12. We see the apostle pulling together the final part of his letter. As he begins to close it, it seems uh, that many exhortations came to mind as he completed the epistle. One of these closing exhortations is quench not the Spirit. So let's turn now to 1 Thessalonians 5.19 and uh, let me just read that for you real quick. This is out of David Stern's version. Okay. Let me find it here. Alright, here we go. First and second Thessalonians. First and second Timothy, Titus, all the T's are together. Right? Timothy, Titus. I'm sorry, Thex Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Second Thessalonians five nineteen. <clears throat> Reads. I'm sorry. <laughs> I said first Thess Thessalonians. There's no five nineteen. Uh first Thessalonians five nineteen, not second Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. first there. First Thessalonians 5.19, it's real simple, it just simply says, don't quench the spirit, or quench not the spirit. Real simple, to the point, Paul must have known what he wanted to say and just said it. Now, let's ask ourselves the question, what's he talking about? Some people would try to use this verse to prove that one can lose their salvation, and that the spirit of Hashem can be put out of their lives. Now, in my understanding of scripture, and I know this is, this is there's a debate on this as well, but I don't want to go fully into it right now, but... I believe that we can know that this is a misinterpretation as we compare Scripture with Scripture. All right? um, Yeshua himself promised never to leave us nor forsake us, for instance. All right? Shaul wrote to the Ephesian believers, admonishing them to be careful not to grieve the Ruach HaKodesh, who has what? Sealed them until the day of redemption. So in my opinion, you can't lose your salvation. That is to say, if you are genuinely saved. The dictionary gives four basic definitions of the word quench. Let's just exegete the Pasuk. Um, the dictionary definitions simply show up this way. It means 
to put out or extinguish, that's the first definition, to suppress or squelch, that's the second, to slake or satisfy one's thirst, that's the third, and to cool by thrusting in water or some other liquid, that's the fourth definition. Within the context of this verse in Thessalonians, we understand it to mean suppressing or squelching the influence of the Ruach HaKodesh of God in the life of a believer. The following outline that I'm going to present for you will help to report our conclusions to this question. All right, Let's use an outline form. We're at the top of page 19 at this point. Um, point uh, capital uh, letter I, uh, capital letter 1. Um, I'm sorry. What is that? Uh, Roman numeral I, I guess, is what it should be. Observations. Point, capital letter A. The spirit of Hashem can be quenched. Um, Subpoint number one underneath the uh, letter A. If we, if it were not true, then the rule Kakodesh would not have had a troll. <laughs> if it were not true that the spirit can be quenched, then Paul wouldn't have had to write this letter. He wouldn't have had had to conclude this admonition. That's our first point. Point number two. This action is only attributed to the believer. Okay, Paul is speaking to believers. Unbelievers do not possess the spirit as an inheritance. That is uh, central to our understanding Paul's letters. Okay. And point number three, primarily the rule of Kakodesh is not quenched from without side of the individual, but from within the individual. That's going to help us to understand what the Pasuk is trying to teach us. Back out to capital letter B under my outline here. What is it that the believer can do to quench the spirit of Hashem in his life? Good question. Point number one under uh, heading B. It is not done merely by committing a single sinful act. Okay, so just get that mind out. Get that out of your mind. It's not just one act that will just drive God away. He's far more gracious than that. Than that, for it is the Spirit of God who convicts us of our sin in the first place. So you sin, you get convicted. You sin, you get convicted. You sin, you get convicted. If you sinned and God left, then the next time you sinned, there wouldn't be any conviction because the Spirit of God would have left you. So that's, that's where I'm going with that. Rather, it is done by continually living in sin. It's repetitive disobedience to the Torah that, um, that, 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 that quenches the Spirit of God in our life. Even after the Spirit has convicted a person of such a sin, if he continually, repetitively, uh, remorselessly sins, then quenching can take place. So the emphasis here is on the repeat offender. I might add that many of the verbs in the Greek language that speak of sin are actually in the repetitive tense. They're in the ongoing sense of, of, of repetition, of an ongoing sinning. Not just one-time sin, but rather the repeat offender. The believer who expresses knowledge of objective Torah commands and yet refuses to repent based on the prompting of the Spirit. That's what can quench the Spirit in a person's life. Point number two under subheading B. To understand how believers quench the Spirit in their lives, we have to remind ourselves of how the Spirit ministers to us individually. How does He minister to us? Well, point number three. Note John 16.13, which I'm just going to paraphrase here in point number four. He is here, the Spirit, to teach us to guide us, to direct us, to rebuke us, and to show us the way to unfold the Torah to give us joy, peace, and love. That's how he ministers to us. Point number five, his ministry, speaking of the Spirit, is to what? To transform our lives, our character, and our experiences into those of the Messiah, Yeshua. The more we avail ourselves of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, the more our lives will line up with the life of Yeshua. Now notice the challenge here. It's not just the moral parts of Yeshua's life that we will begin to emulate. It is, in fact, the Torah obedience that we will also begin to emulate. So the challenge for someone within the standard church today is, is your life becoming more and more Torah obedient? If it is not, then you might want to check your oil reserves. Point number five. I'm sorry, uh, point number capital letter C uh, in my outline. We quench the Spirit's influence in our lives when we resist His ministry to us. 
okay? Not only when we resist, I'm sorry, not only when we continue in sin, but when we resist his ministry to us, we quench the spirit. Point number one under subpoint C, when we fail to yield ourselves to Hashem. It's quite simple. God empowers us to do the work of God. Supernaturally, I might add it at times. But if we fail, if we resist to do that, the Spirit tells me to do. I, I often tell my students as a Torah teacher, I don't have a problem hearing the Spirit of God. I really don't. I hear God on multiple occasions, multiple times a day. Some people say that they don't hear God's Spirit, God's voice. I hear His voice multiple times throughout the day. I'm not bragging. I'm just being honest. But you know what my problem is? I'm going to confess that sometimes I just don't do what God tells me to do. That's my problem. And so in that challenge to me, myself, I can be dangerously close to quenching the Spirit of God if I resist His ministry in me. If I fail to yield myself to Hashem. Point number two. Notice Romans 6.13. In fact, you know what? I'm going to read those verses because I'm not exactly sure that um, uh, I'm referencing those verses. Let me go back real quick and read John 16.13 real quick. And I did this little outline. I, I, I'm not sure I fleshed it out the way I wanted it to. John 16:13 reads, quote, uh, However, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but will say only that which he hears. He will also announce to you the events of the future. Okay. Now, under point, capital letter C, um, point number 2, Romans 6:13. Let's read that. I'm looking these verses up and reading them for you in case you don't have the opportunity to do it yourself. Romans 6.13 And do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as an instrument for wickedness. On the contrary, offer yourselves to God as people alive from the dead and your various parts to God as instruments for righteousness. End quote. Very good verse. Self-explanatory. I don't even need to uh, comment on it. Point number three. We quench the spirit when we say no to Hashem. When we say no to Hashem. God says go, and we say no. I want to stay. God says stay, and we say no. I want to go. So that is the, um, that, that, that's, that's where we run into problems, okay? It has been um, stated quite aptly, quote, nothing could be more misdirected than a self-directed life, end quote. What a powerful maxim. If we are operating under our own pretenses, under our own wisdom, under our own direction, then we are misdirected. Conversely, if we're operating under the guidance and the power of the direction of the Spirit of God and the Word of God, then what could be more directed than that? God directs us. God guides us. So when God says, go, go, and when God says, stay, stay, I know it's difficult, but we have to do it. And you know what? By the power of the Spirit, we can. Point number five, when, when Hashem created us, he purposely made us with a God-shaped hole on the inside. You ever heard that term before? A God-shaped hole? Even unregenerate man innately recognizes the need for higher direction from without himself. He really does. Simply put, man was divinely designed to be led by the Spirit of God instead of leading himself along without God. The scriptures testify to these truths. Subpoint small letter A. Man's going on, man's goings Man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man did understand his own way? That's a reference from Proverbs 20, verse 24. Quote, O Lord, I know that the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. End quote. That's Jeremiah 10, 23. And um, finally, sub-point C, Hashem sent the rule Kakodesh into our lives that he might lead and direct us. Not just to save us, by the way. Let's go back out to um, Roman numeral 2 in my outline here on the top of page 20. Yeshua the Messiah is our example. Amen. I'm glad God gave us an example. Uh, capital letter A. He was willing to go where his father chose. Notice, he went where his father sent him. Subpoint number 1. The Creator was willing to come to this earth. The Creator was willing to come to this earth. He went from heaven to earth because the Father said go. Subpoint number two. He left his glorified position in heaven to come and be rejected on earth. He didn't just come to earth and be accepted by everyone. In fact, the majority of people have not accepted him. Subpoint number three. He came into this world with a mission and a message of grace. Amen. Subpoint number four. Are we willing to go wherever the Lord might choose to lead? 
There's the challenge. Subpoint number five. If not, we quench the spirit in our lives. It's that simple. If God says go, we need to be willing to go. Now, sometimes God's going to challenge us. He says, Ariel, are you willing to go to the jung jungles of Africa? And I say, no, I don't want to go. I'm afraid of going over to Africa. They're going to they're gonna kill me. They're going to spear me. They're going to cut my throat or whatever, right? And conjure up all kinds of images of, of, of missionaries getting hacked to, death by the, hacked to death by the natives. The point is this. I need to be willing to go. And sometimes I could get my ticket in hand and have the plane ready to taxi down the runway. And yet God, the Spirit of God could stop me and say, Okay, Ariel, don't go. I just want to know if you're willing to go. I have to be willing to go. doesn't mean I'm going to go every time because God can change direction and send me somewhere else. But the point is, I need to be willing. And if I'm not, then I, I quench the Spirit of my life. If I, if I consistently resist what God is doing and sending me to. Uh, Subpoint capital letter B. He, speaking of Yeshua, was willing to be whatever his father chose. Another challenge. Not just go wherever God said to go, but be whatever his father chose him to be. Point number one under, under this point. Not only was he willing to lay aside the garments of glory, which was, means he became a beggar in that sense, but point number two, he was willing to be incarnate, become flesh, the creator taking on the form of the creation, which is like a demotion. You know, he, here he is in all of his glory, and he set that aside to become a mere man, a mere mortal, like you and I. Mere in the sense that he took on human nature with all of its frailties, its weaknesses, its temptations, its hungers, its, 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 uh, um, its, its lusts and its passions, and yet he didn't sin. Amen. Point number three, he made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Of course, that's uh, Philippians 2, 7, 2 verse 7. He didn't just come to earth as a king. He was a king. But while he was here on earth, he was a servant. He went around washing people's feet, healing people, ministering to people, speaking words of, of life to people. He didn't puff himself up and lord over people. Although he is lord over everyone. But he didn't lord over people. He demonstrated what a servant of servants is supposed to look like. Point number four. Are we willing to be what Hashem wants us to be? That's the challenge. And point number five. If not... We quench the Spirit of God in our lives. Capital letter C. He was willing to do whatever his father chose. So he was willing to go. He was willing to be. He was willing to do whatever the father chose. Notice point number one. He became obedient unto death. Obedience. The art of doing. It's a lost art in our society. It's a shame that we are not willing to do what God asks us to do. I had a discussion with my um, my fellow heirs class. No, I'm sorry, not my fellow heirs class. My um, I guess, yeah, it was my fellow heirs class. But even before that, I had a discussion with Sherry on the Tor Talk radio show a few weeks back. And we were just talking about the definition of the word legalism. Because, you know, in today's Christian circles, legalism is merely defined as doing something in order to earn salvation or in order to earn merit with God. But you know what? In my experience legalism has, has really been relegated to the status of just being told what to do. <laughs> These days, we believers, we're just so stubborn. We don't even want to, we just don't want to do. That's it. We don't want to be told what to do. Oh no, Ariel, I'm not going to do what the Bible tells me to do. I'm going to wait until the Spirit of God impresses that upon me. I'm going to wait until I'm led to do it. We, what, we can't just do it because the Torah says to do it? Shame on us. Yeshua was willing to do what the Father said to do. And he became obedient. Obedience is doing. He became obedient unto death. Point number two. He was willing to give his life on the execution stake so that you and I might live eternally. In his obedience to death, it spelled life. For you and I, the recipients. Point number three, he suffered the cruelest of deaths, not because he deserved to die. We know that. He was sinless. And his, and his, his, um, his whole uh, trial was a setup. It was a sham. It was a scandal. But because he chose to take our place, that we might go free, that's why he died. His obedience means life everlasting for us. 
we're the ones who deserve to die. Which one of you listening to my podcast was sinless again? Send me, send in your email, send me your name, your address. <laughs> yeah, none of us. I, I don't expect to get any emails off of that challenge. No one is sinless, only Yeshua. And thank goodness that he went to the cross and died for us because in his death, I can live now. I now live because... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm laughing because I'm reminded of the song. I now live because Christ died, uh, Crystal Lewis says. Point number four. Are we willing to be obedient to do what Hashem wants us to do with our lives? There's the challenge. And point number five. If not, you guessed it, we quench the Spirit of God. Roman numeral point number three. What does it mean to be yielded to Hashem? As we draw our commentary on the Spirit to a close, as we talk about obedience to the Spirit and obedience to the Word, what does it mean to be yielded to Hashem? Subpoint capital letter A. It means being willing to, number one, go anywhere the Father might choose to lead. Point number two, be anything that the Father might choose for us to be. Point number three, do whatever the Father might choose for us to do. Subpoint B, it means being in Hashem's will. Point number one, this is not a question of being willing to do some single thing one time only. Don't fool yourself. God is not just asking one thing of you. No, no, no. Point number two, it is a question of being willing to do anything when, where, and how it may seem best to Hashem. Remember, He's in charge, not we ourselves. Yeshua went where the Father directed. Yeshua spoke the words the Father gave to Him did not operate under his own power. He demonstrated his obedience to the Father time and time again by doing the will of the Father and letting the people know that it was the will of the Father in heaven that he was doing these things so that his Father may be glorified. And are we any different? I don't think so. Point number three. God doesn't expect us to make promises to him about what we will or will not do. Okay? This is explained in point number four. The believer in the flesh says, quote, now watch this, alright? This is the believer in the flesh. If Hashem wants me to do something, let him tell me and I will decide whether or not I will do it. End quote. What a silly statement. Let's, let's, let's look at the proper statement, okay? Point number five. The yielded believer says this, quote, I am willing to be made willing to do his will. End quote. Do you see the difference? I have to confess at times that I don't want to go where God wants me to go. This is me. This is Ariel talking. I don't want to go everywhere where God tells me to go. I told you I don't have a problem hearing from God. The problem is I have a problem obeying sometimes. There are things that God tells me, Ariel, do this. And Ariel says, I, I, I don't want to do that. And then there are other times when God says, Ariel, don't, don't do that. And, and Ariel says, but, but I want to. And so the prayer that I want to pass along to you is the prayer that I listed at point number five and subpoint B. I'm willing to be made willing to do His will. Father, change my heart. Change my heart so that I am made willing to do Your will because confessionally, I don't always want to do. Truthfully, I don't always want to do. Truthfully, I'm afraid. Help me to have the faith to do what You want me to do. And point number six says it all. Says it all. Whatever it takes, people, whatever it takes, determine in your heart that you will not go down the path to destruction. I've made that determination to myself this year because I've, I've been introspective this year. I've looked at my life and I've looked at some of the things that I've been doing, that I've been playing around with, some of the, um, the dangers that I've been uh, flirting with, uh, some of the uh, thoughts that I've been entertaining, some of the places I've allowed my, my hands to go, my eyes to go, my thoughts to go, my feet to take me, and I'm not happy. And so this year, I've, I, re I rededicated myself to Hashem. I said, I said, Lord, please, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Of course, this is the, 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 the Psalm of David, right? The prayer that he prayed after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And so, Lord, I pray, during this, uh, during this Shavuot, during this season of giving of the Spirit and the giving of the words of life, that you will renew within me a, a, a righteous desire to walk into your ways and to, to, to embrace your Spirit and to be a witness for you. Whatever it takes, 
whatever it takes. I refuse to plateau. I refuse to fall into the ditch. I refuse to give up. I refuse to give in. That's my prayer. And I encourage you, the listener of my podcast, to pray that prayer as well. Not because it's some magic formula, but out of the sincere cry of your heart, press into the Spirit of God, press into the Word of God, and guess what? He will change you, because He's faithful. Let's draw these conclusions to this last section of my commentary. It's about 45 minutes in, and we will be done in about 5 minutes. Quench not the Spirit. Don't say no to Hashem. Don't seek solutions apart from His leading, or treat Him with indifference. We must be willing to be led, be willing to go, to be, to be and to do whatever God might choose, as difficult as that might be. Sometimes God gives you the insight and tells you what's happening just, just around the corner, and it scares you to death. If you're like me, it scares you to death. And you know what? That's okay. It's okay to be afraid. But press in. Embrace the Spirit. He'll overcome the fear. It's human nature to be afraid. But perfect love casteth out all fear. We know that it was the Torah, the very same teachings that we have today, that was inscribed upon the stone tablets that day, way back in Exodus. We also know that this same Torah is to be inscribed upon our hearts as we serve Yeshua, Jesus, to the glory of Hashem the Father. So how do we get the Torah in our hearts? The Spirit of the Holy One makes real the fact that Yeshua the Messiah, in obedience to the Father, emptied Himself on our behalf and became His sin, that we might consequently become the righteousness of the Father. In other words, because the Ruach HaKodesh makes the effectual sacrificial death of Messiah a living reality in our hearts, guess what? That means that we are now free to walk in newness of life. Just get rid of the old man. The old man is dead. Bury him. He's dead, people. Old Ariel, he's dead. And every time I go to the waters of the mikvah and I, and I perform tevila, I, I go down and I come back up, I'm reminded of the death of the old man and of the resurrection unto the newness of life. This act of faith on our part brings about the inscription of the Torah upon our hearts. That's how it gets written on our hearts. To be sure, the Torah says that Hashem himself does this. Read Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Read Jeremiah 31, 31, uh, 31 33. God writes his laws on our hearts. This is what we need to do to get the Torah written on the inside. We are now free to pursue the Torah of truth without condemnation. Read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Yeshua. And that's to be compared to the condemnation that we faced as sinners lacking the, no, lacking the Messiah. This new identity in Messiah, it is is the righteous relationship that our Heavenly Abba, our Heavenly Father, intended for us all along. It's so wonderful. This is how what God envisioned for us. This is, this is why we were created. The details surrounding that eventful Shavuot in Jerusalem, the one we read about in uh, Acts chapter 2, this now serves to remind us of the present reality of the Spirit living within us and the Spirit dwelling upon us to empower us to be witnesses for Yeshua. So, I want to challenge you today in my closing few comments. Listening to my podcast today. Reading my commentaries. If you have not yet experienced this wonderful truth that Hashem desires to have a personal relationship with you, then I urge you to accept His Messiah today. Don't wait don't put it off. The Spirit of the Holy One will fill your life to overflowing, giving you a new and fresh purpose for living. Yes, He will. Yes, He can. Yes, He wants to. His Spirit will write the Torah upon your heart. And to be sure, He's promised to place within you a new voice 
and a new tongue. Some of you who have come to know Yeshua and to become empowered by the Spirit have spoken in other tongues. I've heard it. I myself have not spoken in other tongues. Unless you want to count Hebrew as another tongue. Because it's not my native tongue. But I've never spoken in a tongue that I don't know of. By the Spirit of God, someday maybe I will. I'm open to that possibility. I'm not going to say no to that possibility, as scary as it might seem. This tongue that I'm describing sings praises to the Father of mercies. The tongue praises God, and it edifies the individual. This very same Father of mercies is the same one who sent his only and unique Son into the world to die for the sins of all men. Amen? Amen. And with that, we're done with our commentary to Shavuot. So I say unto everyone, Chag Sameach Shavuot. Happy Festival of Weeks. If you'd like to dig a little deeper further into this uh, topic of Shavuot, Pentecost, let me encourage you to read these particular chapters. All right, Some of these passages we hit, others we didn't, so let me just rattle them off for you, okay? Read Exodus chapter 19, Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 through 16, as well as chapter 10, verse 6, Joshua 1, 8, Psalm 1, I'm sorry, Psalm 19, verse 17 through 11, Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, Proverbs 2, verses 5 and 6, Isaiah 53, 5, Jeremiah 31, 33 and 34, Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27, John 1, 14, Romans 8, 16, Ephesians 2, 4 through 10, Philippians 2, verse 10 and 11, and Hebrews 11, verse 6. Obviously, it's not an exhaustive list, but just some of the favorites that I was able to um, utilize during this time of my study. I've had a wonderful time with you. It's been a, a long commentary. I thank you for going the distance, and I bless you all in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and in the spirit that he gives to us freely. Shalom. That concludes our show for today. Remember, because the Messiah has already come, the Torah is now a document meant to be lived out in the life of a faithful follower of Yeshua through the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to the glory of God the Father. It should not be presumed that it can be obeyed mechanically, automatically, legalistically, without having faith, without having trust in Hashem, without having love for God or man, and without being empowered by the Ruach HaKodesh. To state it succinctly, Torah observance is a matter of the heart, always has been, and always will be. My name is Torah teacher Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. The intro and outro song was produced and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at Yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A, number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com. <laughs>